Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. Today, we are joined by Michelle with us. We're looking forward to hearing her entire journey and he is actually an upcoming author. He has a book that's going to be produced and coming out in October. We're really excited to have you on the show today, Michelle, and to get to know your story to help our listeners learn all about you. So thank you and welcome. Welcome here. Thank you, David. I'm really honored to be here with you. And hello to all of your listeners. Thank you. First, let's start off by having you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, my name is Michelle Madrid, and I always start by saying I am, you know, a former foster. I was in foster care in the United Kingdom, and I was ultimately adopted by Americans. So I became an international adoptee and was brought to America to be raised. And my story is you know, still unfolding. Adoption is a lifelong journey and it continues to unfold. I continue to make new discoveries about myself. I spent a lot of years um, seeking perfection in my life because I really thought that perfection and pleasing others, always showing up in this sort of behind this facade of uh, perfection was how I would stay safe. And I do mean safe, safe from rejection, another rejection. And I think in my life, I sought out a lot of ways to seek approval in that way. And in some ways it served me and in other ways it didn't serve me. And I came to a point in my life where I felt like I really had to dig deep and understand why with the goals I achieved in my life, I was, I still felt a sense of emptiness, loss and and sadness inside of me. And so that's when I really embarked on the journey of deeper self-discovery. Yeah, It ultimately brought me to a place of really sharing my story, scars, flaws and all out loud, writing about this experience, this lived experience as adoptees, coaching, mentoring, guiding other adoptees. And yes, writing my new book, that will be released October 3rd. Let us be greater, a gentle guided path to healing for adoptees. That's that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that book and I'll be sure to get a signed copy, I hope. <laughs> you got it. It's done, David. It's done. <laughs> so speaking of your book, in your intro, you had a different name. So which part of yourself do you identify more with? Julie or Michelle? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I think It would be very honest and truthful for me to say I I identify with Michelle because that's the name that I've been known by for years and years and years, ever since my adoption as a little girl. My name was Julia Dawn before being adopted. And after adoption, it was changed to Michelle Ann. And I, I do write about and share openly that it was a very confusing time for me because I didn't know where this little girl, Julia Dawn, had gone. I didn't know where to place her. She somehow had been erased, it seemed, yet I still felt her inside of me. And the only thing I knew to do was just to try to silence that part of myself, 
stuff her sort of way, 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 way down. Yet I grieved her and I felt like only half of myself. So from the name perspective, I guess I identify more with Michelle now. Yeah. But from my my true identity, I have learned how to bridge those two identities, those two people, Michelle and Julia Dawn, and and build that bridge back to the other and sort of take that little girl's hand and bring her along the journey. And as an adult woman, remind myself that so much of what I do is for her now today. I do have her tattooed on my on my right arm. Um, I, I do as much as I can to bring her, little Julia Dawn, with me along this journey of, of healing and reconciliation, really. I hope that answers your question. I do believe I have merged those two identities. I feel very whole in that respect. But of course, Michelle is the name that everybody knows me by. Right. That makes sense. That You kind of answered my, you know, that question was going to be a two-part, but you kind of just answered the other part for me through that. Because I was going to ask, do you think each name represents a different part of who you were going through your journey and figuring out who you are? And I think you kind of touched already on that. Yeah. You know, I, I could add to that because that's such a thought. That's such a thoughtful and meaningful question, David. I I was just recently back in my birth country of England, and it is interesting that when I am back, I feel the presence of Julia Dawn so strongly. I even went back to the little village where I was born, and I walked around that village, and I, I went to the park where I played as a, as, a, as a little girl, and I allowed myself just to feel a whole lot of things. But the, the interesting thing was, I felt those things for Julia Dawn. I allowed myself to feel those things, emotions that I used to know how to cut off. I let them flow on this last trip. And it was really beautiful because I think I was able to witness those feelings without falling apart. It used to be that it would literally unravel me to feel those things. Yeah. The loss, the sadness, some of the questions of what could have been, or maybe even what should have been, I don't know. But I was able to just walk with that little girl in that park in my birth country and be with her and feel all the feelings. And I actually left my birth town feeling even stronger. And I think that's the beauty of reconciliation with ourselves as adoptees. Reconciling those identities is really important. And so that's such an important question. I hope I answered it well. What a thoughtful question. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Very, no, you definitely answered it very thoughtfully. So thank you very much. How did you find out the details of your birth? Did you find them through your biological family? Or how did you, how, and how did hearing this affect you on your adoption journey? You know, I, I was always given, growing up, given a narrative that was only part truth. And I'm, I don't say that people necessarily hid truth from me. In some, in some respects, truth was hidden from me, yes. In other respects, I think false truth was kind of just infused um, into my life by those around me who really didn't have the answers. So they thought maybe we'll just make something up or we'll say something that hopefully will make her feel better in this moment. Like, well... Adoption just, it means love, honey. Um, we saved you. We saved you from a really hard place. And, and you should just 
you know, be grateful and move forward in your life. And that was really hard for me because it left me feeling empty and somehow disempowered because adoption didn't only mean love to me. Yeah. It meant a myriad of things. It meant loss. It meant sadness. It meant confusion. It meant anger sometimes. It meant feeling somehow unwanted, less than. And I didn't know how to express those things. And so as I grew, as I matured, I became a real seeker of truth for myself. And I wanted to find out the truth, even if it was hard, yeah. even if it was messy, I felt like this is my truth to own. And so what really helped me was when I went through the process of accessing my foster records from the United Kingdom. And it took me nine months to prove that I was emotionally, mentally sound to hold in my hands the truth of my own story. But we got there. And when I read through the pages of my story in those foster records, what happened was kind of amazing because I used to think that somehow I was broken or I had done something that would cause my first parents to leave. Yeah. But what I discovered inside of those foster records was that they were real people too in a real and difficult situation. And they made an imperfect decision that impacted my life, but it wasn't because of me. Yeah. And that really helped me to see them as real people because, and flawed people, because it made me recognize that they were like me, just real people, flawed, you know, that I wasn't somehow damaged goods. And I say that because I really did feel like that for a very long time. And so that helped me a lot. And claiming my truth, has been really important for me. Discounting sometimes the stories that I've been told by others, even my own first mother, she had a version of the truth. And I realized and recognized that I needed to find out the truth for myself and stand in that truth. And I think that's really important for every adoptee because we can be told a whole lot of things. The important thing is, is to empower ourselves to come to terms with our truth and to live that truth um, faithfully and unapologetically. How do you tell yourself that the truth that you find is actually the truth? And I ask that just because the Russian adoptee, we get a lot of cases where sometimes our birthdays are incorrect. Sometimes the names of our parents aren't even real or they're made up. How do we tell ourselves as adoptees to trust the system, to trust the documents and all that? I'm just curious. And it's true because, you know, even looking at my foster records, sometimes you wonder, well, there were, un there were things that aren't true in the foster records. Like, you know, in my foster records, it says she was unwanted. She was illegitimate. She is a difficult to place child. Okay. Well, those are someone else's truths written in a document about me and my early life. But I have a choice to accept that as the truth or say that is a version of someone's truth, but it's not my truth at all. Yeah, I'm not unwanted. I'm not, I was never illegitimate. I am a legitimate human being in this world and I'm not difficult to place. I was never difficult to place. Yeah, And so I have to choose in, in that kind of respect, what I will, what I will see as the truth and view as the truth. That's not my truth at all. 
when it comes to a name, yeah, and I, exactly. If we don't know our birth dates, that's that is what is the word I'm I'm looking for, David? That is um, the absence of truth. And sometimes we don't get those answers, right? Sometimes we don't know our first names, or if we were given a first name, sometimes we don't know the exact date of our birthday. Yeah. And I think that's when we go within in stillness and just connect to a place of truth within us. And maybe a date will come to us in that. You know, I think that our, our inner intellect is so powerful that when you allow yourself to go there, the truth, something that's not on paper, but but a truth may emerge. And we have to trust ourselves enough to go with that, I think, you know? And I've done that. I've done that along my own journey of healing, just via meditation, visualization, doing that kind of work. I've come to truths and that I'm that that feel very real for me. And I'm gonna go with that because I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna trust my my intuition, that wisdom that lives inside of me. And I'm going to trust that it's here to guide me toward a deeper truth of who I am and what I'm here to be. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes at the end of the day, realizing that uh, you rely on yourself a lot more than you think, that ultimately, in the end of the day, you're the authority on these matters. And, he, and that's so true. And, and I'll share a quick story with you about that. The lesson, when I really got that lesson, I was a teenager and I, was, I had reunited with my first mother. And I was visiting her and was outside. It was a sunny day in England and I was in her garden. And I was sitting there thinking about the first me and what it would have been like to be that little girl playing in my mother's garden. And I was sort of just fantasizing about that, really. And my, my mother was outside with me and a neighbor came over and the neighbor said, oh, well, who do we have here? And my first mother, my mom, she looked very panicked in that moment. And now I was a girl of about 15. And I looked at her and what I wanted to hear her say was my truth of this is my daughter, Michelle, right? But my mom didn't say that. She got very panicked and she said, this is a relative from the U.S. Her name is Michelle. Uh. And... The neighbor went across the, the street and I said, why didn't you tell her that I'm your daughter? And she said, it's none of her business. I didn't think she really needed to know. And I said, well, I really needed you to say it. I needed to hear you say it. But what I realized in that moment, as much as it broke my heart, was that there were two truths. My mom wasn't ready to share that with this neighbor from across the street. And it was, I am her daughter, right? right? I'm her daughter. She wasn't ready to share that. I was ready to hear it. And I realized in that moment that no one outside of myself can heal me, can offer me the truth, can offer me the soul medicine I need to heal and become whole but me. And I needed to start that journey on my own. I couldn't rely on someone else. I couldn't I couldn't rely on that kind of power structure. I needed to shift the power structure from them to me. Yeah. And I needed to take ownership of that part of my healing journey. Yeah, that's well said. You really, you answered that question, no problem. <laughs> that's very important. And wow, that story really is uh, touching. 
to hear that, uh, hear, to just imagine yourself being in that garden and thinking, you know, the what ifs. And there's so many of that that adoptees ask a lot. And that's something that we always, you know, forever can honestly look back on and say, well, we can always continue to look back or we can accept our fate and, you know, move forward. Yeah, there is power in acceptance. Otherwise, we live a life of resistance. And the opposite, the opposite of resistance is acceptance. And I'm not saying that we have to say, oh, everything, you know, happened for a reason. And I'm not saying that. But I do think we have to arrive at a place of acceptance. And then beyond acceptance, there is providence where I do think that the divine steps in yeah. and helps to guide the way. And so I just remind people that resistance is it's a challenging place to be. And the opposite of that is acceptance. Just try leaning into acceptance just a little bit more, a little bit more and see where it takes you. Yeah, absolutely. In your book, you talk about pain of being denied. In the book, you talk about the pain of being denied, basically, from the truth. Do you, do you believe most adoptees feel this way? How did it affect you? Not knowing. <laughs> the pain of being denied access to truth is absolutely a point of pain that adoptees can experience. I write about it in chapter four of my book. And I think it is, it's really hard because the not knowing truly can be one of the hardest realities, I think, along this journey. Certainly true for many adoptees I coach and guide and, and mentor. I think it's disempowering to feel locked away yeah. from the truth of, of your story. And the people in that story, right? You're like the earliest parts of your life, your chapter one. And it, it can be such a disempowering feeling that I think it can sort of flow over into other aspects of our lives as we go and as we grow. We can just feel a sense of disempowerment in our lives on so many levels. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things I find when I'm, when I'm coaching is adoptees feeling like, um, a sense of disempowerment, anger, the, the, the wound being broken back open when they are asked even at a doctor's office about their medical history yeah. and having to say, I don't know, I'm adopted is a very hard moment. And we have to relive that over and over and over again as adoptees. And that's that pause, that awkward pause that we can feel when either the nurse or the doctor is standing there with us. And then they sort of say, well, that's okay. We'll just skip over that part or what have you. Or, well, it, it, that's, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We'll move on. Well, it does matter. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's these little nuances that we feel as adoptees that we have to relive over and over and over again. So I think, you know, the inability sometimes to know and feel like someone else holds the key to our stories um, is, is very difficult. And I'm certainly not saying that every adoptee wants to know, yeah. David. I mean, there are adoptees out there that say, I'm fine with it all. But I do think that when adoptees do want to know, that when they want to know, they are complete, as, as complete as, as they possibly can access information and and unfiltered information i think they should be offered that with compassion yeah and with caring support it is it is difficult i always though want to remind adoptees 
that there's a lot that we don't know, but again, it's accessing a power within us and asking ourselves, well, what what do we know? Right. What do we know? Right. And then, and, and going to that place and building that bridge or that foundation of knowing, if you will, to help us move forward in our lives and not to get so bogged down and so stuck in the not knowing that we become lost in that. I think that there are going to be things we don't know. That's just the facts. And, and it's hard, but there are also things that we do know innately about who we are right innately about the worth that we possess and if we can start building on those things i think it makes such a huge difference in our healing journey yeah absolutely and to come to terms with you said it perfectly about we need to accept the fact that we know there are things that we do not know and you know there's a there's a great quote that goes through all those i won't go through it all because the big quote but they talk about the known knowns and the known unknowns, uh, but it's it's you can relate pretty much anything in life to that of things we know and things we don't know and things we may know but we we don't realize we know it. Are there things out yeah. there that we still haven't found that we are going to know eventually? You know, so exactly, and that goes to. Oh, I hope you'll share that complete quote with me sometime. I'd love to read it, but it, that also goes to the timing of it all. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll share it. It's it's not that long. It's not that long. It was actually okay, quote tell me. by uh, it was actually a quote by uh, former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld when he was trying to explain about you know the whole WMDs and what they know, etc. But the quote is mm-hmm. the unknown knowns. So it's there are known knowns, there are known unknowns, there are known knowns, but there are also unknown knowns. So known knowns. We know what we know. Known unknowns. We know that there are things we do not know. Unknown unknowns. We don't know what we don't know. But there are also unknown knowns. We don't know things that may be out there that we do know. That's the quote. So it kind of gets you thinking about, you know, wow. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that goes back to, I think, that a level of acceptance and and trusting that the things that we're that that we're meant to know will unfold as our journey unfolds. Yeah. Like I always go back to like my heart, like my your heart, my heart. It, it beats a hundred thousand times a day, and we don't have to think about it. I I don't even know how it really does that. I mean, it's a miracle. But it beats for me. So it's a, it is a gift. Our hearts are this, this gift that we don't even have to think about. So I think about the gifts of this unfolding journey as adoptees and how things will play out in their own time. And if we just can accept that there are things that we know now, yep. there are things that we don't know now, there are things that we may find out in the future or may never find out. And I, I give you an example quickly. My first father, I was always told that my first father said, I don't want to know when the child is born. I don't even want to know when she's born. I lived my life thinking that my first father didn't love me. He didn't even want to know when I was born. And I was told that repeatedly over my life. And then when I found my father, who's Spanish, when I found him, he had already 
passed away. But in the discovery of his passing, I found my biological half-brother. And when I met him in Spain, he said to me, about a month before our father died, he shared with me, I have a daughter out there somewhere. And I didn't know at the time he was that he was talking, number one, any sense because he was sick. And I thought maybe he was just hallucinating or, you know, and he said, but now I know he's talking about you. And he was, he was sharing this truth yeah. that he had kept buried away. And I never knew if my father, my first father loved me. I didn't know. I wanted to know. I tried to force the knowing. Yeah. And I could never find him. And then after he passed away, I received a message through my biological brother that indeed my father loved me. In fact, he spoke about me before he died. I have a daughter out there somewhere, which means he did find out that uh, after I was born that I was a daughter. And he had carried that with him, that secret with him throughout his life. And it, in an instant, healed that part of me. I felt loved by my father. I felt like he was sending me a message from another realm. And I then knew the unknown became known later in my life. Yeah. And I wanted to know that. And you know what? Innately, maybe I did. But there were so many things I questioned. Yeah. And, and so many ways I felt so unworthy that I couldn't feel that love. But I found out later, you know, after he had passed, and it was such a gift. So I love that quote and, and how it does remind us of that acceptance of what we know and what we don't know and, and a trusting that things will unfold as they, as they should. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it can really relate to <laughs> practically anything that you uh, think about in life. You can use it for a lot of different uh, circumstances for sure. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. Do you believe there are stigmas about adoption? And if so, what stigmas exist? Oh, gosh. Oh, uh, where do we begin? Stigmas about adoption. Well, I think about maybe stigmas about it's the, the, what I used to hear a lot growing up, and I think it's still out there, um, that it's somehow a second best sort of option. That's what you're going for, that kind of stigma. And I always really... That's a hard one for me. And I hear people sort of not necessarily saying, well, it's second best, but sort of alluding to adoption that if any, everything else doesn't work, then we'll consider adopt, adoption. Right. And I think that's really hard because what that signals to the adoptee is, is I'm, if I, am I somehow a second best choice or a second best child? Or I, I think we really have to um, look at the way we use words in describing adoption, the process of adopting, coming to that decision to adopt and be very careful with that because it's like that sticky residue, the stigmas stick to the adoptee and it's very hard to remove. Over time, it becomes our logos of limitation and we just think that's who we are. That's, it somehow becomes part of our identity. 
We're not second best. We've never been second best. Yeah. We're not damaged goods. I used to think that about myself because I heard that, right? I heard that a lot. Yeah. It, it just, you know, how 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 wonderful it is that your parents did something like this. I heard a lot of. Yeah. Well, did something like what? Yeah. Yeah. Adoptees are not charity. We're valid parts of family. We and we enhance families. I see adoptees as the most courageous people. And I don't say that just because I'm one, right? I stand proud with you, right? As as adopted people, I um I we're just so courageous. We are truth seekers. And so the ability I feel like for people to really hear us, to really lean into our lived experience and to hear our perspectives, we have so much to share. Yeah. When we get to that tipping point, and I think we're getting closer and closer, I think we will help to eliminate these stigmas that have just been around forever and ever, it seems. And I hope and I pray for that every single day. Yeah. No, that's so uh, so important to identify them and figure out how to get a, get past it. Yeah. It's going to take all of us, not just one adoptee. <laughs> exactly. It takes each and every voice, and that's why each and every voice is so important. No matter your experience, no matter your perspective, I want, I want to hear it all. Yeah. I want to hear all of it because that's how we forge lasting change. Exactly. For those with trust issues as adoptees, what do you recommend that they do to heal themselves? Well, trust is, you know, certainly a pain point that I go through in the book because, you know, I think when when you look at the fact that so, so many adoptees, adult adoptees I coach say, how can I possibly trust when so early on in my life, it was shown to me that I couldn't trust the people I should have been able to trust the most. Right. My first family, first first parents, right? And and it is hard because I think that what happens is we begin to question if we can even trust ourselves. And when we when we can't trust ourselves to make decisions in our life, to show up in our lives the way that we want to show up to say the things that are most important on our hearts. I, I think the voice of who we are becomes more quiet and quiet and the light of who we are becomes more and more dim. And that's a tragedy. Yeah. I think that trust really does start with that element of self-trust and learning how to show up for ourselves and speak the truth of who we are, speak the truth of what we feel. We're not here to please other people and at the end of the day feel like we've never done anything to please ourselves or to honor ourselves. I think it's little by little, step by step, building a foundation of self-trust and then, you know, really following that, building on that and allowing ourselves in our own ways to to access trusting others. And it, it is, it is, it is a layer by layer thing. It's not easy. Trust has been one of my, um, my biggest pain points to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Everything just looked fragile to me out there in the world. 
Like I did not think I really expected everything and everyone to leave. That was the way I saw the world. That was the lens I looked through. I had to learn to start looking through a different lens. And it started for me with trusting myself and knowing that I'm worthy of my trust. I'm actually a very wise woman (laughs) and I am integrity filled. You know, I would speak those things to myself. I'm a what I have, I possess wisdom. I, I am, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a force for good. I'm here to love and to be loved. And I can trust in myself because I know, you know, at the very core of who I am, these things are true about me. And if I show up in that way and I show up for myself, I build that sense of self-trust. And I'm telling you, when you can trust yourself, it's a game changer. It really is a game changer. And then you begin to open up yourself to trusting others, other people, other situations. Yeah, that's yeah, that's beautiful. I couldn't agree more with you. Good. I'm so glad. I and I I feel like that you likely have been along that journey of learning how to trust yourself oh, more. Absolutely. It's a tr- trust is a it's so important as an adoptee. Yeah, it is. And it all starts with us. It really does. It all starts with us. And we have the power to access that place of of trust within ourselves. We are worthy of our own trust, for sure. That's right. At what point did you come to terms with your adoption story? Through your book, what are some ways you encourage adoptees to... Oh, my goodness. Yes. You know, if I look at the patients that I go through in the book that I, I find are the most, the most spoken points of pain that adoptees share with me and certainly ones that I've experienced in my own life. The, you know, the pain of feeling unwelcome in the world is a real point of pain. Yeah. And so I move, I move adoptees through an invitation of welcome. How do you welcome yourself into the world? How do you invite yourself into the fullness of living? We have an exercise for that. The pain of broken bonds and a deep sense of loss, you know, grieving what needs to be grieved and understanding that adoption loss is real. Adoption is rooted in loss. And I I don't quite know why um, that has been um, glossed over for decades and decades and decades. It hasn't done adoptees or those who adopt them a lot of good. Right. The fact of the matter is we need to speak to that loss and we need to learn how to do that and support adoptees in in grieving what is real for them. I think that's really key. You know, the pain of being denied access to truth. We went through that, um, you know, of of really the the knowns and the unknowns and the power of choosing truth for ourselves, adoptees and standing in that truth. You know, the pain of um, familial rejection of words that harm, we were just talking about the stigmas, the words that are used, you know, that harm us, whether they are intentional or not. You know, just to say, just be grateful is, it it is not helpful. You know, uh, we have to get to a place where we can, as adoptees, embrace the both end of this journey. And I think those who love us need to understand that too. It's not either or, it's the both and. It's my and your ability of, of recognizing both um, the loss and the gain, right? Yeah. 
um, of this experience. And that's really key. Um, distrust, we just talked about that. That's a real pain point, but we, we must, you know, do the work of learning to trust ourselves and knowing that we're worthy of our own trust. You know, the pain of banished biology, how do we reconnect to that sense of ancestry and heritage within us? You know, this is especially, I think, true for international adoptees because we are removed from first family, first country, first nationality, first language. So much is removed from us. I have an exercise in the book that is a walking ancestral meditation, and it's very powerful. I love walking meditations, and I have a meditation where you you walk and you really allow the opening of these kind of truths to, to enter. Um, ancestral truth, you know, because that's a part of us. We don't lose that because we're adopted. Exactly. You know, our ancestors are pulsing through our veins, our biology, and you become whole when you're able to embrace that, whether you're internationally adopted or not. I think that's really key. The pain of pleasing others versus pleasing self. We're not here to please others and sacrifice pleasing ourselves, honoring ourselves, you know, listening to the desires of our hearts as adoptees. And there are exercises certainly for that. The pain of a lack of transparency and acceptance. We, I talk a lot about the importance of transparency and adoption, yeah. being able to speak our truth. And earlier we touched on acceptance. My goodness. Yeah. It is, it is a very transformational place to get to of the acceptance of our story and seeing the miracle in the mess because life is messy. As we said, adoption's messy. But if we're able to look at it through a different lens, we can start to see the miracle. We can start to see the power and the imperfections. And those things, I think, are what, what help guide us toward our ikigai. If you've heard of that, ikigai, our reason for being. Right. And each and every adoptee possesses that. And my goodness, we need that. We need you to live out your, li your reason for being. And so there are exercises in this book, visualizations, adoptee awakenings, affirmations. It's packed with a lot of goodness to help adoptees reconnect to parts of themselves that they may feel disconnected from. Right. You know, it's, you brought up when you were discussing about these different points in your book, you call them adoption pain points. You refer to them as chapters. Tell us more about this idea and how you decided to come up with that unique name? Well, I think these, ultimately, I want to say that these points of pain that I map out in the book, the intention of the book is to help the reader transform these points of pain into points of light through these exercise visualizations, meditations, and, and really soul work modalities. But the points of pain are, are simply said, they're places of hurt that can cause challenges in the adoptee's life. It can cause us to want to live, live life at arm's distance, not to trust, not to let people in, live a life of feeling isolated. Oh my goodness, how many times have I heard adoptees say that? Or, you know, wanting to bolt when rejection feels like it's looming, right? Those kind of things. These are points of pain that so many of us have felt and they're valid and they're real and they need to be, lovingly supported and worked through. And this book is that for the adoptee. It is that supportive and loving friend yeah. here to help you work through these places 
And, and again, this book sets the course to compassionately and soulfully heal and reframe these points of pain. And it's, it's just my honor to share this journey with, with adoptees. That's awesome. That's really, really special. You briefly touched at the beginning about your biological family a little bit. You mentioned your birth mother. You mentioned your biological brother that you had the privilege to meet. Can you talk to us a bit more about any other family members you got to meet and experience with meeting them the first time? And how did that work out for you? I remember the first time I met my first mother in my teens. I flew to England and I remember being very nervous getting off the plane in London at Heathrow Airport. And I remember wondering, fearing, wondering if she would show up, fearing that she might not, that I might be just standing there alone. Um, But she was there. And I remember the arrival terminal was really busy. And I, I didn't know if I, you know, could be able to find, would be able to find her. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like everyone sort of parted, the crowd parted, and she was standing there. I remember she was in a lilac dress, and she really looked lovely. And for a moment, I felt really angry as I was walking toward her. And I felt like, this is the moment where I am going to let her know how much she hurt me and how hard this experience has been and, you know, how sad I felt and alone I felt. And I'm going to tell her all of this. And as I got closer and closer to her, that anger just kind of melted because I, I saw so much of myself in her and I, I just kind of melted into her when, when we came face to face and we both stood there in the airport and cried for the longest time. I remember driving home with her and she kept saying, I can't believe they changed your name. She said that over and over again. I can't believe they changed your name. And I felt confused about that. I remember being in her home and she wanted to like draw a bath for me every night. There was no shower in her home. So she wanted to like prepare the bath and she wanted to comb my hair after I had bathed and my hair was wet. And I remember feeling in some way uncomfortable with that, but also so hungry for it. And I look back and think she was trying to make up for lost time. The reunion was hard. It was beautiful. It was everything. It was everything. It was the both and. It was transformational for me. And again, I learned a lot of self-truth in those moments of um, coming back together with my mom. I met my, my bio siblings on my mother's side, two sisters and a brother. I sort of was a little closer with the brother than the sisters. The eldest sister was was there when I was born. And so I think she probably had the hardest time because she actually held me. And then I was gone, you know, um, a few weeks later. And for her to process that as a teenager, because she was a teenager when I was born, was hard. I realized, David, that Adoption just didn't impact me. It impacted everyone yeah. in my first family, my biological line. Everyone was, was impacted. Uh, my brother on my maternal side used to say to me a lot, I just wonder what it, what it would have been like if we had been able to grow up together. There were a lot of what ifs that we talked about. 
I had a funny, funny uncle, Uncle Les, who I loved. And he loved horses. And I'm an equestrian. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned that my biological, on my maternal side, my bio mom's side, a long line of equestrians and on my English side. And it made sense to me why I, why I loved horses so much. And, and I have horses to this day. I ride and I love them and they are a big part of my own healing. Horses are magical and incredible. And so I learned some really interesting things through reunion. On my, on my first father's side, I don't know a whole lot except my brother. And that's been a blessing. And we connect now maybe once or twice a year. He lives in Europe. But he often will say to me, I know you're out there. And although we don't connect, it means a whole lot just to know you're there because he lost our father. His mother passed when he was in his 20s. His brother passed away as a child. And so finding me was like finding this, and it was a, a family he didn't know was out there. And it was the same for me. And it's been a lovely connection. Yeah, that's awesome. Just knowing that you can provide someone else happiness through your journey as well. I mean, that's just, it's a warm feeling inside. Yeah, it is. To know, for them to know that you're okay and, you know, reassure them that you're okay as well. I mean, you know, so many adoptive mothers, I only say this just after talking to my, my, my own adoptive mother and my biological mother, you know, I always thought that, you know, if you had a child, wouldn't you at least want to know that they are alive and okay and they all say, absolutely. You know, that's the least they want to know is if you're okay. Absolutely. My, my mom said that to me too. Just, just to know that I'm okay meant everything to her. And it does, I think, offer a sense of peace as hard as their decision was um, and the circumstances around that decision to know that their child, because we are their their children. Yeah, you know, I'm my I'm my mom's daughter. I am, and I I claim that that's my truth. And I think she didn't do the healing work that that I have done in my life. I don't think she knew how to access that. And she probably she died in 2019, and I think that she's still left with a lot of sadness. But I hope that through my own journey of healing that I helped her to, to heal some parts of herself too. Because I will tell you, I will always love my first mother. And I carry so much of her within myself. That love doesn't end just because our physical connection was parted, right? That the love doesn't end. And I think that's important for adoptive parents to know and to honor that your children came from some place. They are not blank slates coming into their new situation. Honor their earliest chapter. Yeah. Honor the people in that chapter. Don't speak poorly about bio family. Just comfort your child and, and embrace the fact that they have this capacity to, to love and honor the both end of their journey. Absolutely. My final question for you, Michelle, is what advice or wisdom do you have for other adoptees who are going on their journey? Okay, I'm going to say this and I'm going to try not to tear up. <laughs> okay, but 
from the depths of my heart, I want you to know that you're not alone. From the depths of my heart, I want you to know that what you feel is real. Honor that. From the depths of my heart, I want you to look in the mirror and see the potential that you possess and the light within you. And I want you to do what feels right and good for you to reignite that light within yourself. Because adoption, I once saw it as my weakness, but I see it now as as a big source of my strength. And I want you to see it that way too. There, There is so much in there, as hard as it is sometimes to get them, that you will find to be your source of strength, your reason for being, the message that you're here to share. And I ask you to trust in that, lean into that and get curious. Like if something comes across, I'm wiping a tear from my eye. If something comes, a sign, a message, if you feel something and it might be uncomfortable to feel it, I want you to anchor yourself by asking three questions. What is this here to teach me? What is this here to show me? How is this here to grow me? And anchor yourself in those questions and then allow yourself to receive the answers because they will come to you if you stay open and receptive to the wealth of wisdom that you possess that is rooted in this very hard experience. It is hard, but I promise you that as, as your journey unfolds, you will learn so much of who you are and who you're here to be, what you're here to be. Trust in that. Reach out to other adoptees. Don't be afraid to reach out because we want to be there for you. Nothing is more powerful than knowing that you're not alone and you have a community, a constellation of adoptees around you to support you and help you along this journey. Michelle, thank you so much for your time and story. We will see you again in a few days to hear part two, where we learn more about your journey as an adoptive parent. For all of our followers and listeners, feel free to check us out at voiceofadoptees.com and on social media and our platform of all the podcast hosts as well. Tune in each Wednesday for a new episode of Voice of Adoptees. We'll see Michelle soon. And as always, Voice of Adoptees, who am I? Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.